the face of my enemy. I see my brother. I see my brother. When I look into the face of my enemy, I see my brother. I see my brother. Welcome to a better story podcast. Those sweet jams you're hearing are from The Brilliance, which is made up in part by today's guest, David Gunger. David and I have a wonderful meandering conversation about music for evolving faith. You can hear more from them at thebrilliancemusic.com. Be on the lookout for new music this summer. Now enjoy the rest of this track, our conversation, and then one more track at the end of the interview. start from the beginning way back little david gunger what was your sort of initial experience with music growing up was there a point in time where you realized like i'm into this i love it and then second part of the question when did jesus or faith spirituality get attached to music for you so i grew up in a family that my, our dad was a pastor, and there were four children, and music was a language that we spoke in our home. Uh, my oldest brother, Michael, played guitar. My brother, Rob, played piano, and that left me at seven years old playing the bass guitar. <laughs> and I would ask my brothers, how do I get my bass to stop buzzing? And they'd say, learn how to not suck. <laughs> and I, you you kind of had to teach yourself. We did lessons and that type of thing for your instrument. But everyone sang in choir and sang at church. Um, so to answer your question, uh, music was something that we did since a very early age. Um, you know, always singing in school musicals and singing at church. And, uh, and then the older we got, the more serious we took music i played in junior high and high school i played in like jazz band and then in high school i started playing um, music with my brother michael i think music for me was uh 
I say a language because my brothers, it was one of the ways that I could hang out with them was that often they were playing music and um, I would listen to records and uh, learn how to play the bass lines or, you know, fills from certain bass players that I really loved. And uh, same thing with, you know, singing, listening to records and trying to learn how to play those songs and songwriting. And I remember in high school, my brothers were both in college and um, I wanted to be able to hang with them. And so uh, I took my bass playing a little more seriously then. And uh, yeah, I started doing that. And then I think as far as like songwriting and singing myself, I think in high school, I realized it was nice to sing and write songs to chicks. And I say chicks (laughs) because it sounds very gross of me, but I, I probably just wanted to like, you know, like write a song to impress a girl. It was kind of shallow about it. And then I also had my songwriting for like Jesus, which was like terribly cheesy Christian worship songs about the cross and, and you know, really, really cheesy rhymes <laughs> about the tree. And, lots uh, of blood involved. I lots assume. of blood. Yep. And uh, yeah, and then um, it was something that was a language that just kept on carrying over into work and ministry. So after high school, I uh, I was playing in my brother's band, and I ended up uh, moving to Michigan for college and working at a church in youth ministry, doing music ministry there. And, yeah, I could never really escape the music thing. It just was always within the family and the language that we spoke, and then I married a musician. So it is, yeah, it's a nice. part of the family. Yeah. I love that it's a, a mix of uh, passion and practicality in terms of connecting with folks as well. Yes. Very cool. Uh, I'm curious, as far as the music uh, that you and John make as the brilliance, um, what kind of, not to not to label you, but what sort of labels do you use uh, for the music you're making? Would you say it's uh, liturgical, worship, Christian, transcendent of all labels? Uh, what do you, how would you categorize it? Well, uh, the most recent work has been, we call it spiritual protest music, um, which is, I come from a place usually that's thinking through uh, Jesus lens that somehow meets uh, a very incarnational thought and kind of existential lens. And John comes from a more agnostic um, humanism lens and just our our thing is based around usually our music has evolved it's, it didn't start off that way it started off more liturgical um, based on like the Christian faith and then it morphed over time into peacemaking and now has morphed into protest and now has morphed into just trying to make music that's honest do you have an audience in mind when you're making the music or is it literally just, does it feel like it's an expression of uh, your experience? I, yeah, I would say our audience is probably us. Um, yeah. It, it sounds a little pretentious. I feel like I'm saying it, but it's like, uh, it's not like we have a huge audience. The people that do follow us are very kind to us and generous. And we're grateful for that, but we're not catering to a certain crowd. We're just trying to, wrestle through it. I feel like sometimes you listen to our older music and it's not always to us, doesn't feel honest. So then we take that music down and wrestle with that and it's ever changing. Um, it's something that right now for the new music that we're working on, uh, we're really excited about it. We've been working on a project now for a little over a year. Um, and it's the longest we've ever worked on a project, but I think it's, it's, um, the only thing maybe that I would be like, oh, yeah, I think we're going to be really excited to release this and, and proud to release it. Hmm. That's really interesting. Um, that raises another maybe broader question in my mind. As I was uh, listening to your music and thinking about spirituality and art and music and the intersection, um, I don't want to – there's a way the conversation could go where we just spend a lot of time like shitting on Christian worship music, and I don't really want to do that. Um, as you know, as satisfying as that could be in some ways, um, but there is, I think, there's a a noticeable difference in what you all are doing versus you know what's kind of um, more common in liturgical or uh, Jesus oriented music circles, and I kind of wonder um, 
if there is something, at least in the way that like evangelical American Christianity expresses art, if there's something antithetical to that. And what I mean is um, it feels like good art has to be honest and free and um, can explore life without a hard set of boundaries. And in a lot of folks' mind, I think Christianity has inherent boundaries to it. Um, I'm not sure where the question is in there, but I'm just wondering, do you feel, do you feel boundaries? Do you feel like, um, art from some sort of faith base, uh, is there something antithetical to Christianity and art, uh, coming together? That was the least coherent question I think I've ever asked on the podcast, by the way. I think, okay. So if you're talking about Christian art and anything that has depth and has soul, I think has a a makeup of um, something that feels honest meeting transcendence. So I, I really like Psalms for that example, where it's like you can say things that make you wrestle and are, are not always clear cut. I think um, that it though does, if it's Christian art, you know, it's coming from a certain narrative and story and story arc. There's an allegory. There's something that it's pointing to that's beyond itself. I think the the thing that we sometimes get caught on is if it's Christian art, is it orthodox? Which if it's evangelical, I'm going to probably say no. <laughs> um, but is it orthodox to evangelicals? And I think what's hard about that within the Christian art landscape is that... Um, we get to a place where it's just doctrinal. So all Christian belief starts from a place of revelation. And the question is, where does that revelation come from? And how do you experience that revelation or that truth? And for a lot of Christian dogma, revelation just becomes beliefism of saying the right things and not an actual experience with, God. And this is where the mystic, and especially within Christian art, I think the mystic can uh, point us towards a place of a new Christian conscious, which is going to sound a little out there, but I think that when you think about um, the history of the Christian conscious, you'd be like, okay, and this is borrowing off of like Thomas Merton's thoughts on this. This is getting, this is getting, you're not asking for this, this yeah, answer, but it's, fine. I love it. So early Christian thought was based around people who had a revelation of Jesus himself. And they thought in their mind that an event happened and that soon Jesus would return. And so it's a very here and now gospel that then over time, when you move past to like, well, he hasn't returned yet, what, what do we do? And how is that hope experienced? And it's experienced through martyrdom. And then somehow people through the martyrs would be like, they had this experience uh, that tra it was transcendent, it was a mystical experience that moved into aestheticism where we had monks and and people of faith who denied certain aspects in their life and when they did those denials and died to themselves they experienced the gospel in a new way and then you get philosophies that come in hellenic philosophies that then change it to being and that when you're a christian the emphasis is on on being and within modernity and post-modernity we now are in a place where you go, well, where do you experience that revelation? And some people use that experience of revelation and just make it essentially a document that's not living. So it's like the Bible says, the creeds say, and it's like it stops. And if you use any language that goes outside of that document, you're on the outs. And so the language and the fresh language that you may have that may 
it might not contradict it, but it, it's definitely not within those documents or beliefisms. It really starts to to seem threatening to those whose all revelation is based on like a systematic thought. Like the only way that you experience that revelation is through believing the right thing. And so for me, I say all of this to be like, okay, the places where I find revelation and find the goodness and the mercy and the grace of all that is good and holy is you find it um, through loving your neighbor and loving. And somehow when I see those who are different, who are strange, the unintelligible, that's the place where I find God. And because of that, a lot of times our music, as far as spiritual music goes, is kind of going towards the edge effect, which means it's the place where two different um, ecosystems meet. And in that, you find some interesting biodiversity. And so from a spiritual lens... Um, that's where things like mindfulness and Zen and um, kind of reach into a spiritual contemplation mystic that seems like that you do care about justice issues. However, you may not be caring about those issues um, with the same language as like just a social justice activist. So it's kind of coming from a contemplation contemplative state rather than just an outrage state realizing that no matter you can see the injustice but uh if in the name of injustice i feel like a one progressive mindset is like it's very animistic it's very cause driven but it also is just like a hundred percent gerardian scapegoating on people as them as the problem and it does this identity politics thing where like you can't use reason anymore um, just because you're not experiencing my truth. My truth is the, is the only yeah. truth. And so our, our music tries to dive into transcending just the either or dualistic nature of who's right, who's wrong, the good guy, the bad guy, the spiritual winners, the spiritual losers. And you know, in a way, and this is going to sound very, if you're like super theological nerd and you're like, what is David coming from? Where is John coming from? David's coming from a place that looks very Pannenbergian, which just means building from the bottom up, very incarnational view of a lens of how I approach God. So Pannenberg is the famous guy that said, uh, God does not exist yet. Or you get, you know, into Paul Tillich's zone. It gets pretty weird, but my <laughs> my point of that would be like you, you have this tension and yet this hope and it's built from a place and a revelation centered around Jesus of who yeah. is Jesus, the son of God, the new eon, the whatever kind of language you want to use for that. So my oftentimes my lyrics and my tensions are coming from a place of asking that question through a Jesus lens, but it's also for me to understand who Jesus is. You have to understand like what is humanity and what is our, you know, and that's why I say we get, I get very existential while John comes from a lens of very post-Christian post-modern, but he's actually, I almost want to say he's like the Sam Harris of the group. He's a very, hmm. he's a very smart and intelligent, good thinker who challenges and uh, doesn't let me just get away with Christian slogans or Christianese. Yeah. Does that create tension in the writing process at all? Not to get too personal. No, but, I don't uh, care. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, I think for our new stuff, it's putting, I'm more excited about these songs than I've been about anything else. Part of that, though, is like a place of just wrestling and growing musically. You, you kind of care more about what you're saying and how you say it. And less concerned about slogans or rhymes or, you know, just being like, what are we really saying? What are we really putting out there? So, yeah, so that that's our, yeah. there is definitely tension within that, but I feel like it's a good, healthy tension. 
So like I'm working right now on a DACA song and I wrote this song that I was like, I was super excited about it. And then I showed it to John and he kind of crushed it on a few verses. And the, the verse, the first verse had this lyric that said, love has an open door, welcome stranger. And I loved the lyric. I'm like, Oh, love has an open door. Welcome stranger. It's about um, specifically about dreamers. And he was like, well, so let's take that, that like little phrase you just gave, like love has an open door. I understand you want to be welcoming, but do you lock your doors at night, David? Do you And it was just like this, it was this funny long conversation on like, love is also, you also protect the innocent and you also, you know, and you wrestle through those types of things. And those are the little Christian slogans or catchphrases that, John is so good at catching and being like, you're full of shit, man. Like, what, what are you yeah. saying? And so we wrestle with that and we change it. And uh, and so, yeah, so the lyrics, I, I fully wrestled with it and, and changed it. Yeah. I think it shows. I mean, you talked about your music changing over time. It feels like you, um, I don't even think it feels like you could just look. It seems like you mentioned God specifically less often in the music, uh, not in a way that makes it less less spiritual. But is that the case? Was that intentional? Is that just sort of happened? No, yeah. I, our story is one of started off making church music, so the beginning ones were going to have lots of references of that. Brother had less, and then uh, the thing was we were part of a record deal where we had to put out essentially a church album for our last one, but we wanted to put out this album that we've been working on. So we had to contractually essentially put out an album. Um, That sounds kind of brutal. Well, you know, make a deal with the devil. (laughs) Which you go, well, let's take it out as the Jewish uh, perception of that. We are the Satan. I'm just, just, wow, we might need to take that out because I just, I really do. That's some serious theological deep dive nerd shit right there well yeah um we can, so, we can take it out as needed um so uh, what i was saying is uh yeah we we had to um we had to finish an album they asked for another church album we did that i've been writing other church music that i have not released that i'll probably release some point this year it's it gets pretty weird but it's 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 a lot of deep theological cuts and then um my the band the brilliance is now uh like this next record has no reference of god one of the things you kind of hit at in just your description of kind of what's going on in your your changing as uh musicians was what i would articulate as sort of a non-defensive posture when it comes to writing like one of the things that it feels like within a lot of faith-based music it feels like there's something to defend like we're you know we're saying like God, our God's the best, our God's the biggest, et cetera, et cetera. Um, do you feel any, do you feel like you have anything to defend, so to speak, when you're writing? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, I had a song, I mean, to, to go to your point, our first album that we ever did, I had a song that I had written as a youth pastor that was very written around like themes of NT Write around uh, like the story of scripture in the old testament coming together with the new and so like i had this song called our god alone that the verses kind of focused on creation and then moved through the story of israel to jesus and incarnation death resurrection and then future hope and technically it's a a very good um theologically defensive sound song you know theologically but the chorus says it always has this this thing that says our god alone and, uh, you know, a few years later, we stopped playing it just because that, that kind of tone of like our God versus your God versus. So we just, I mean, we took it down. A lot of people are like, why do you take that music down? And I don't want to like be offensive because I don't need to start a fight. But it's just also like, yeah, because um, it's not in a place that I want to sing that song anymore. And not that it's a violent song, but that. That kind of language can be divisive, and we just we want to have music that kind of brings people together more than divides, and that's intentional. It does not mean that like I really respect and appreciate really sound 
Uh, sound is the most good way to say. <laughs> really thoughtful and deep and intentional music that is reflective of orthodoxy. I appreciate that. And usually there's mystery in that, and there's room for lots of deep diving, lots of swimming. Um, yeah. I appreciate that type of music. So I'm not trying to be like, oh, like on one end you'd be like, well, that's defending orthodoxy. But at the same time, I'm, I'm almost like, well, it's not really defending it. It's, uh, it's offering a, uh, a seat at the table to come and feast upon the goodness of orthodoxy. And so yeah. there's, a lot of, there's a lot of music that I appreciate. But yeah, in a modern sense, it's hard because modern worship music, and this is not trying to shit on modern worship music. This is just trying to state the reality of it is uh, a lot of it is written in a posture of, are we saying the right thing? Are we believing the right thing? And how easy is it to play for multitudes to sing? And how simple, like catchy, put together. And then, you know, it's now a machine that um, is a style of music that you can make a lot of money on. And so it's a big business. Yeah, it doesn't. Not, I don't mean that as a bad thing necessarily. You can take it as a bad thing, but you also can take it as a well. There's a lot more corrupt businesses out there. People gotta eat. Yeah. So I understand. I understand that some songwriters in Nashville right now are probably writing some like church music, hoping for the big, big CCLI, you know, cut. They got kids. Yeah, I think just the implication of that, and again, not even trying to disparage it, just thinking honestly, is that is a lack of, of honesty in it. I'm not sure that in my mind, I'm not sure I would call that, um, oh, this is judgy. Anyway, I'm just going to say it. I'm not sure I would call it, um, good art at that point. If the, if that's the objective of it. Um, but I don't, but again, I, yeah. I, I mean, the only thing I'd push back on is it might not be honest for you, but it could be honest for them. Yeah, and fair. if in their framework, they're honestly trying to believe something or still they're not at the point of here, here's what I'd say. This is like a, can we extend charity or generosity to still believe or hope that the reason why they're acting the way they are is because they have good intentions about it and they could have the best intentions and it still may do violence to you because you're like, oh, this is disgusting. But I would just say, I think it's our job to not return the violence with our intention, just being like, you're just money grabbing or you're just doing this. Because at the very worst, at the very worst, it's like, man, they're, they're just, they're just trying to be human and feed their kids or make a living. And I'm like, yeah, and you could do that yeah. by being an advertising person and you're also sucking your soul away. Even though, like, you can be an honest advertising person and do your best. You know, I'm just like, yeah, whatever. The evangelical yeah. church, it's a business. It's okay. It's yeah. a, like, we can be honest about it for us and be like, ah, it's a business. But it's a business that sometimes is ethical and sometimes is not. And sometimes is, you know, just like any other business. Yeah, I, I have conflicted feelings about this because I don't listen to worship music really at this point. I never was really super into most worship music, but I do recognize for all the all the negatives I might throw at it or about it, uh, it does do something, I think, in people like emotionally and spiritually that moves them beyond just their cognitive processing of their faith. Um, it may not always do it with the metaphors and the images that I would be as excited about, uh, but I do think there's something useful there. Like my... My wife still listens to worship music, even though she doesn't believe a good chunk of what it's saying, but she recognizes it does something in her and to her, um, which is where I would say what you all are doing, I think, provides a helpful alternative for folks who may not hold the same, may not be able to buy into all the lyrics of the, the contemporary Christian music. Um, but may still want something that fits within those metaphors and those images of Jesus-oriented faith. Um, so I think that, like, if I'm giving shout-outs to be like, because I have to lead worship, um, I get to lead worship. <laughs> I, um, 
there are people that I really deeply respect and love. So I'm a huge Matt Marr fan. Um, I know his intentionality and I know how good of a writer he is. I'm a, I, I actually have a ton of respect for Hillsong and how thoughtful and, and actually uh, how much respect for how much hard work it is for what they do. While, say, a Bethel thing is is interesting, their theology is one that uh, would would rub me more based on, um, and this is not bad, because on one end I'm like, hey, it's like the new type of evangelical mysticism, um, <laughs> which, which uh, I, oh man, I better slow down my roll on this. I think their, <laughs> I think their melodies are great. And I think they do some things well, but like I will give an example of like uh, what Hillsong just did with like uh, uh, "So Will I." That is a song to me breaks a lot of normal CCLI boundaries, and there's a lot of thought and intention and, and good things about that that I really dig. Well, if you're going to take like the big Bethel song right now of uh, like "Reckless Love." there's still so much of the language of theology that's like total depravity zone of, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not worth it. I'm not, you know, and the verses also kind of go to that. Wow. I'm really diving deep into songwriting. My, my, by no means, these songs are very catchy and very good, but anytime you do that thing where it's like, you're so, so good. Um, those doubles, it to me, it's one of the thing about good, good father. It's almost like to me where you're almost speaking to God like a puppy dog. You're a good boy. You're so good, good, good. Um, I don't, I don't love that in in songwriting because it can feel trite to me. But at the same time, there's an innocence about it that can get back to a place where it's like Bethel's song, "Our Father in Heaven, Hallowed Be Your Name." I sing it every night with my kids. And it's like beautiful and simple. So like my encouragement would be like, oh man, songs like Our Father and their melodies are like so good. They are really, really good. Uh, my hope is that they lean a little more into, like I feel like Hillsong is doing or is done, lean a little more into either the orthodox lens or the lens through which uh, a very incarnational lens. Instead of yeah. just like, uh, atonement lens because I feel like so much of the music from there comes from an atonement side now I said that entire critique as a worship leader not as the band the brilliance because band the brilliance doesn't make good worship music okay so we don't make music like them it's really hard to write a song like good good father or like whatever and have tons of people sing it um, there's an art to it and so I respect them and think that that's great I gave that but that's why even more when someone like Matt Marr or certain writers from Hillsong can do it and do it in a way that is like kind of transcendent. I'm like, dang, that's really good writing. Yeah, I appreciate the nuance in that. I say the word nuance on this podcast every episode, um, but I appreciate the ability to um, separate not even the good from the bad, but things that are helpful and things that are less helpful and not um, thinking binaries of this is bad, this is good. Um, yeah, because especially with things in sort of the rear view mirror of a lot of folks' faith story, which worship may be in, um, it's easy just to try to chuck it all out. And there's more nuance there than that. But the question that some of that raises in my mind is you, you talk about orthodoxy a fair amount. Um, do you feel any obligation, not even obligation, desire uh, to stay within one particular narrative or historical or theological tradition uh, when you're writing either individually or as the brilliance? I think it depends on what I'm writing for. No, the answer to that is no now, but at a certain time I would have said yes. I think orthodoxy is beautiful and helpful for many. I think it's patriarchal. And in doing so, uh, I... I have lost a certain taste for that in my mouth, in my spiritual palate. And I respect it deeply. I know I come from it. Um, and I mean that in a meta way. 
uh, your faith is something you receive. You don't just make it up. But for where I am at, um, I would not say... I come from a church that is, you know, we say the creed every week. And so we say we believe, which means even if I'm struggling with that belief, I don't have to believe it, but we believe it together. We fall under it. We kind of submit to that. However, even within that, there's so much room to wiggle around. And so sometimes you can wiggle around spiritually. And I think there's enough room to wiggle around in the orthodoxy pond. And I also think that there is Deep Space Nine out there, Planet Moon, that I have been to. And I'm like, wow, I really enjoy this. And it's definitely with with uh, Beyond. So like, there are certain Christian mystics that I really love. Um, Eckhart is one that like at certain points he was labeled a heretic. And yet when I read him and when I uh, dive into certain mystics, uh, there's something that transcends and a lot of the mystics and other religions, they all have this similar language. Um, and so for me, I'm coming from a Christian faith lens and through a lens through Jesus Christ. And yet I've had experiences um, that transcend that language that was given to me, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Um, this is a question I ask myself a fair amount. And so I'm probably just going to project it all over you. Do you ever wonder or think that there may be a time down the road where you um, abandon maybe too strong of a word, but cease to use those lenses, those metaphors, the the Jesus story, so to speak, either in your songwriting or just individually? I mean, as songwriting, yeah. I mean, but what's hard is there isn't a dichotomy between Jesus and, and humanity for me. That's through my lens. So I don't think I'll ever lose the narrative and the power and the beauty of the Jesus story for me. However, the Jesus story may be through a different lens than that of whatever, fill in the blank, evangelical David growing up. So a big for instance would be like, well, when you read about Jesus through the lens of like Paul Tillich and existentialism, you're like, well, at what point is he the son of God? <laughs> and you get into these things of like uh, logos and on the deep, deep theological cuts and philosophy of like different points of Jesus that are very interesting and can actually help you wrestle through your own doubt and your own story of like, who am I and why am I here? Um, I, my views have changed and I know they'll continue to change. For me, I've had some huge evolutions in my own language and lenses that I use. So I, I of course, think that that will continue to change and ever. Grace is something that uh, is, is, you know, it's fluid. It's, it's not just stuck in one spot. It's moving. So that river of grace will definitely throughout my life always take me to new places. Yeah, I think that's that's a better articulation of the question I was trying to ask. The way I think about it is, will there be a point where the Jesus well, or I feel like I've tapped out the Jesus well and moved to a different well to tap into the same thing that's at the bottom of what I would say um, most wells. Another person that really, I mean, if you get into like uh, Ram Dass or into different people that are outside of your faith that talk about Jesus and how they talk about Jesus and Muslims or Jews or whoever it is. A lot of times you can see Jesus through a different light that inspires the imagination and inspires, uh, you know, different thoughts on things and you can encounter that in a different way. So uh, yes, you, the, the, the question I would say, yes. You've pretty much answered this question, but I still want to ask it just to hear your thoughts on it. Cause you've been talking around it. Um, when you think about the things that you, um, specifically maybe write in lyrics um, that may allude to a sort of like personified God, uh, that language. And as we've talked about it, it's less common in your your writing as you go on. Do you feel like you're talking about a concrete reality or are you using symbols and language that leads you to something transcendent or that cannot be uh, articulated clearly? Or yeah, just done the okay, best I'll, I'll give you two answers. One, when we talk about God, I only can talk about it through a personified God. 
Because as soon as God is not personal, he's objectified, or she's objectified, in which God, you kill God. So, you can't, I don't believe you can talk about God and objectify God unless you're going to kill God. Do you think, uh, this is a question I asked too, sorry to interrupt, a personified God is the same thing as a personal God? Do you equate those as the same thing? So on one We're end, into the weeds, so, but I so like here's it, so, so no, yeah. So on one end, you'd be like, okay, I can answer this as God is. This is Paul Tillich language, like God is the ground of all being. He's the God is the abyss. God is, in the same way that we would say, everything that is the universe. If there is a creator of the universe, it has to be outside of the universe. So the way that we think that things exist through matter and man and that, like God cannot exist within that. So God does not exist. And yet, in order for God to actually be God, God has to exist outside of existence. And so within that framework, I'd be like, okay, do what do I mean by personified? I would say everything that is reality for us, there is something that pierces the heart of beauty that I would say is like the sacred feminine heart that somehow shows us all religion shows us the futility of it all. Its life is meaningless. It's completely meaningless. I'm a total, I totally get being a nihilist. And yet something through beauty and something through transcendence and something through mysticism, whatever language we want to give, speaks that transcends the meaninglessness. And at the end, you feel home. And when you feel home, it's peace, it's good. You see that you don't have to create meaning. When you when man tries to create meaning, man falls. You move from your essence, which you already are, into trying to exist, which is called the fall of man. So when you try to create meaning in your life, you find that all life is meaninglessness and it's a futile attempt because you're going to be like, oh, I did it. Where you're like, if you enjoy life as gift and it already is good <laughs> and you already do belong, there's a certain salvation that takes place where you see who you are made in the image of God or all this type of language that goes, oh, just be. Just learn how to be. That's what your worship is. Your worship is not singing to a sky God in the, in the sky. It's learning how to be. And so we say you're learning to be, we use language like new creation. And somehow when you connect to God, you become like God, you become in the image of God, which is what is God? Well, when we use scripture, it'd be like love, love transcends all these things. And love is, if you're borrowing language from like, you know, Peter Rollins, you'd be like, well, love is like the light in this room. You can't, what do you do with light? You, it illuminates other things. It gives meaning by itself. It's meaningless. So I'd be like, well, so God is the thing. It is the transcendent ground of being, the abyss, those things. That somehow this logos, this this language that I'm coming from, the tradition that I'm coming from within Christianity, uh, has a lot of language to give about who is God and how how do we relate to this God? Who am I? And somehow through Jesus Christ, the reason why I'm a Christian is because I believe Jesus is the new man that somehow that story that we told that tries to create meaning it always fell short and we always bought into different stories and religions about the sky gods who are angry and then somehow that script is flipped upside down now sometimes we still try to use that language and use that those things where it's like we got to have good guys, bad guys. We got to have the winners and the losers. And sometimes it's helpful, but it's also kind of crazy because in the Jesus story, like all the losers are the ones who end up being winners. And all those who think they're for sure winners usually end up going, I can't eat at this table with them. And the bottom line for Christianity and my language for it is, well, it's the great feast where you're going, everyone's welcome to the table. Who's welcome to the table? Every man woman, boy, girl, person. Every person is welcome to the table, except for those who can't eat with those people. And so you go, I can't eat with them. They're a sinner. I can't eat with them. They're 
this. Their identity is this. They're not even a person. They're whatever it is. It's kind of that C.S. Lewis idea of like those who are not feasting are because they don't want to feast and they look less and less human. And so when I see Jesus, I see what it is in the metaphor to be human, to be man made in the image of God. And so I've got a lot of Christianese language that I can use for that. But it also comes down to like, okay, those things also transcend meaninglessness and all different types of, those are borrowed through all religions. All religions lead to this place of oneness, singularity, where what is the thing? You'd be like, well, how do you describe that? How do you describe oneness? And even with that, you can be like, well, within the Orthodox faith, they got this crazy idea of oneness, which is the Trinity, where it's one God within three and all this complexity. And it's like, well, it's actually kind of a beautiful metaphor for singular, for oneness. But you'd be like, well, it's one and three, and we can get really anal about how we talk about that. People are going to be like, heretic, burn me at the stake, you know. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I just threw up a lot of thought no, at you good. on that. That's good. No, and it actually leads to um, one of the last questions I want to ask you here. Uh, one of the things that I I find I do, and I think a lot of people do, is um, as they go through these changes in their faith and unpack things, they often end up reclaiming terms. And it sounds like you've reclaimed some some classic Orthodox or even evangelical terms. Uh, I'm curious, any ones that in particular you feel like you've reclaimed and found new meaning in? And then flip side of that, any ones that you're like, I've got nothing for this one. This one is just staying in the, the garbage pile until I figure something out. I think part of our human experience is one of, in our evolution of thought, I just, it's really easy to discriminate against ourselves and in the same way in my short 31 years of life my language has changed so much because of the stories i was told and fear or love or whatever it is whatever attention it's like i try to i'm trying to recognize charity and grace as also all life is gift all life is a trip all life is like this thing where you'd be like it's all good at the end of the tunnel, there's laughter, there's joy. And transcendence or enlightenment or whatever you want to call it is the, in my opinion, it's the awareness of the meaninglessness of it all. And it's the attempt to get to that place of all is one and all is good. But it's not good because I made it good. It's good because all is good and reality to me is god the only thing that's not real is me do i exist and which way can i say that i exit this is like the way we're gonna get to the existential like craziness but my existential uh point was a crisis that then led to oh only through the idea of the divine did i find what existence was and did i find what meaning was but it wasn't based on something of like this sick maniacal game of a God that was like, I'm going to play a game of heaven or hell and you've got a hundred years to make your choice. And it's this game of chess. Like, no, I, I don't, I didn't buy that. And it was hard for me and I let go of it. But in letting go of it, I found all is good. And life is love and there's struggle and there's pain and there's drama. But that's all good. It's all gift. Everything belongs. And that that's hard to wrestle with, but it's also the place of surrender that I found life. And so for me, I have the story that I was given, and I don't judge people for those who don't have that story. And I think that sometimes we all have these different stories so that we can all see the goodness of life. And that sounds a little crazy to some people, and I understand. But I, I don't try to take the goodness of grace and mercy and try to become con the, the, the myself the one who's in charge of it, where somehow I weaponize acts of mercy, faith, hope, and love. Well, we've meandered to a lot of really good places that I think folks will, will hopefully find helpful. Um, I don't I know if they're going to find it helpful, bro. They might just be like, this guy is just the weirdest like he's talking about a lot of weird stuff that i cannot track with 
Uh, I can guarantee I've got some weird listeners. So yeah, I think you're safe there. Uh, and that's I say that in the most like affectionate, loving way possible too. Weird in a good way. Um, you wanna you wanna finish us by maybe telling a bit about the new project you're working on? Do you mind uh, fleshing that out a little bit for us? No pressure. Um, no pressure. No diamonds. Um, we. We've been working on a project that uh, I don't know how we're going to release it yet. You know, I've had like three different ideas for how we're going to release it. And I can tell you the most current version, but it could totally change, which is a set of suites that deal with themes. So one of the themes is, is this the end of the world? One of the themes is around grief. One of the themes is around DACA. And each one one of those themes is around social media. So... For those suites, there are sets of songs and music that follow a narrative um, around what that does to our human condition. So what does the social media actually do to us? Does it actually connect us? Or is it, is it a mirage? Is, a, is it some type of, I'll use Christian language for this, is it some, is it some type of deep cultural sin in the way that we think we're doing something like connecting us, but it's actually just tearing us apart because it's not a real connection. Uh, same thing with, is this the end of the world? It looks very hopeful. It's very around peacemaking, but it also deals with like, what does destruction look like from us in technology? And then uh, grief, which is one of the themes is it's our dark shadow that like we can't escape. It just follows us everywhere. And so, yeah, so we, we are working on that. Um, we're, I mean, I just have to mix it, and we've been toiling through lyrics and me redoing vocals on lyrics, and I don't really love this, you know, guitar part. We don't want it. We've been like, normally in the past, we've done records where we just fly through it, doing it as fast as we can on the smallest budget we can. And so this is the first time where like I have, I'm sitting down with you right now, and I'll show you. See, I've got like my computer screen in front of me with my little Pro Tools, and John's got Pro Tools, and so we're able to work apart and uh, also kind of wrestle through some things, sit with some things. So I'm really excited about it. Also, it's different, um, different enough to where by no means will there be themes that you're like, oh my gosh, they've changed. Like, you've changed, man. You've changed. Like, no, you'll be able to follow along from like any theme that we've always been. But it is also built for a more diverse audience. So that's why we're trying to stick away from just using trigger words that might seem like I say something that may get you on a, on a path that just is trying to be like, well, wait, 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 almost like that defensive posture. So it's like, how can we have as open of a hand as possible through these for when we talk about it? So even like when you're doing protest music, it's hard because how do you be edgy enough to where like you're speaking what you want to say, but also you're not just being like screaming these people are wrong. So like we have a song, well, I don't want to dive too too deep into this, but we've got songs like in the hymn of doubt where it says, give me doubt uh, so I can see my neighbor as myself. Give me doubt so I can lay all my weapons on the ground. If the armor of God is too heavy for peace, give me doubt. It's the only time that God is mentioned. It's a hymn of doubt. But meaning like, let me not weaponize my faith. And I only think that faith happens when there is doubt, because the opposite of faith is not doubt, it's certainty. Because if you're certain, well, then why do you need faith? If you're certain that mountain will move, then why do you need faith for it to move? So let's be honest, and when you're honest, there's doubt that creeps in, but then in the midst of doubt, I choose to have faith. And so I'm going to look at the realities of life, and I'm not going to just be like, oh, it's good, oh, we're just the people that win all the time. We're the, I'm like, no, actually be honest. We're not always the good guys. We're not always these things. And give me enough doubt to where like I can see humanity. Because it's only when I embrace that that I can actually, when I see humanity fully, I see Jesus fully. Nice. Do you have a, a timeline for that at all? You said you're mixing it, but you don't have a release date at this point? Yeah, I mean, we're... What's funny is I think we released the first single in New Zealand like a few months ago. And New Zealand will play us on the radio. No one else in America will. Um, yeah, we, we, uh, we'll release it probably this summer. We'll release the first suite and then depending on how we want to do this, there'll be suites released, uh, monthly. And then maybe at the very end, we'll do a vinyl of all the suites. But I mean, 
we have like 15 songs right now that it's like it's too big for a record and then at the same time I say sweet because it almost like in the version of like a mixtape or something like that where it could change and it could be instrumental music included and that type of thing cool well looking forward to that um where can folks keep up with you if they want to find out when that's yeah, that's really you know, nice of you to say they can uh follow us on instagram follow us on twitter we have facebook facebook to me is my least favorite of the social medias but i don't know why the, i mean the brilliance music um or brilliance music you can search that Twitter or Instagram, you can follow the Brilliance Music on that. TheBrilliantsMusic.com. And then we also uh, have a newsletter that it's like the easiest thing. I say newsletter. I like rarely send it unless we're like releasing something. Um, so you're not going to get like updates from me every week. But when we do release it, you'll be like, oh, here it is. And you can sign up that on TheBrilliantsMusic.com. You can s- sign up for our mailing list. Nice. Cool. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate the conversation. I think folks will enjoy it. Every day We go to war again We assume We know so much more than them Before we hear what they have to say Headline breaks And we start to hate again Calling them names again We give our peace They see it Cause I wanna see it I hope we believe it I wanna see I wanna see the love All around you All around you I wanna know, I wanna know that love is all around you, it's all around